It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Podcasts. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipittv. Michael Kiss. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball and a half. And Benjamin Solak. How old are you? It's the Kiss and Solak Show. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Right here on BGN Radio. You are flying high on the Kissed and Solak Show. This is episode three, and it is brought to you by BGN Radio. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my XNO work for InsideThePylon.com. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, I am joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Seven-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak of Bleeding Green Nation and NDTScouting.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Oh. Every day is a good day to be alive, Mike. Very glad to be back uh, on the podcast here again, ready, talking some more offseason, talking some more drafts. We're close, man. Scouting Combine. Yeah. Next 10, 11 days here. Very psyched, very psyched. Yeah, less than two weeks to the Combine. I can't wait to see that. Uh, so, okay, let's go back before we go forward here today. If you missed last week, let's get you, gentle listener, caught up on what went down on the Kiston Solak show because... We are on a whirlwind tour of the offseason, and you don't want to miss a thing. First, last Monday, BGN Radio episode 301, we talked about the resigning phase, who to bring back, who to let walk, what it would cost, and what it would mean for our current cap situation. Last Wednesday, we talked about potential free agent fits for the Eagles. Last Friday, we covered the offensive side of the draft, which brings us to today, where we are going to give a general idea of what the draft could look like for the Eagles on the defensive side of the ball. Ben, let's talk linebackers, right? We're going to do that by talking about safety first, and stay with me. Recently, our dude Brandon Lee Gowton, he tweeted out that safety Malcolm Jenkins played 42% of his snaps as a linebacker. This was due to injuries to Jordan Hicks, Joe Walker, Danell Ellerby, who missed some time with hamstring injuries. The need for a third linebacker isn't necessarily an immediate one. You've got Nigel Bradham as an option to bring back. Jordan Hicks returns from injury. But the fact that Hicks has never been healthy over long periods of time, I mean, you can look at his injury history. Go back to college, he had two season-ending injuries, a hip injury and an Achilles tear. He missed 19 starts in college. Then, in the pros, a pec tear and another Achilles tear this year. So having him back, what does that mean with that kind of history? Can you depend on him being a long-term solution? They could make a decision in the future on Michael Kendricks, who hasn't exactly been the healthiest over his career when you look at it. 
2013, nagging knee injury. 2014, it was a calf that bugged him throughout the entire season. 2015, it was a hamstring. Over the last two years, he's only missed two games, which is fantastic. But you take in the whole picture, it's not so rosy. So you take any of those three guys out for injury or whatever the case may be. Bradham, Hicks, Kendricks. And where is the depth? Let's look at it this way. If you're trying to defend against the Eagles, A, good luck. B, you're going to see 11 personnel, which is one running back, one tight end, 65% of the time, which is a little above league average of 59%. C, you're going to see a combination of 12 and 13 personnel, so two tight end, three tight end sets over 30% of the time, with the league average being 25%. Not only do you have to have linebackers that can cover when teams go 11, but you need linebackers that can defeat blocks against heavier sets like 12 and 13. So look at a game like the Raiders game in week 16. And Ben, I'm going to throw this one at you. Knowing that the league average for 12 and 13 sets are 25% league-wide, and the Oakland Raiders average that combination only 20% of the time, from memory, because we talked about this a lot during the season, put a percentage on how much you think the Raiders use 12 and 13 personnel against the Eagles. Just take a stab at it. Oy. Right, this was like right when Philadelphia was still trying to figure out how they were going to deploy LRB. Maybe he was just starting. So, okay, they usually did about 20%. Let's say the 38 to 42% range. Nice, very nice. It was 41%. You nailed that one, hey, Ben. I'm proud of you, bud. what's up? <laughs> so, why is that? Well, it's because the Eagles couldn't match up against it. The Raiders ran 33 times for 137 yards because they had an advantage. With at least two tight ends on the field, the Raiders ran 24 times, 92% run from those groupings, and it worked. It's not just that game either. Dallas did the same thing in Week 11 and snapped a seven-game streak where the Eagles hadn't allowed 100 yards rushing. You see that high number of linebacker snaps from Jenkins. We were using him as a third linebacker in that game, and he was having to take on blocks from tight ends and linemen. It's not ideal. And Jenkins is a fantastic run defender. Nothing to take away from him, but that is not a plus situation for him to be in, nor is it for the defense. Are we getting some guys back? Yes. How many of them will be back? Who knows? The Eagles did a good enough job of putting lipstick on the pig throughout the season, but that's not sustainable. And it forces you as a defense to react because there's an inherent weakness when you would rather be the one with the advantage, with the flexibility to do what you want to do. So before we talk potential targets, Ben, obviously this is a fluid situation and I know we're both on the same page with the offensive tackle being the top need, but do you feel that linebacker is a sneaky possibility at the 32 overall pick? Oh, certainly, yeah. And I think that if Nigel Bradham is a guy who walks in free agency, then you you could easily make the argument that linebacker overtakes offensive tackle as a need. I think offensive tackle is still a bigger long-term need for Philadelphia. But yeah, if Bradham walks, you have an immediate need at strong side backer. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the linebacker position. You're talking about 12 and 13 personnel, why the linebacker position is valuable. Well, we, uh, we've seen the linebacker position be devalued over recent years. That's been a trend. And if you're somebody who, who kind of keeps up with, with, with football theory and with X's and O's sort of stuff that you've seen this, you've seen, uh, analysts talk about how the linebacker is not as important. You want big safeties, right? Guys who can come up and they can, they, they'll, they'll have run responsibilities, even though they're lining up as a safety. They'll have box fill responsibilities. They'll be responsible for a gap, but then they'll also be responsible for coverage. That's the sort of guy that you want. And then, of course, as you put more receivers on the field, as the spread style of offense, you know, that that chess move is played. The natural response to the defense, you know, it's, it's a constant co-evolution, offensive and defensive, you know, a theory. Uh, you get on the defensive side more nickelbacks. You know, they say nickel is the new base personnel. And there's less linebackers mm-hmm. on the field, so linebackers are less valuable. Well, 
with the incidents of, of the RPO, Mike, the linebacker, and it's, it's kind of in scare quotes there a little bit, the linebacker becomes a little bit more valuable. It goes back up. It trends back up. And why? Well, because very often the linebacker is the player who's put in conflict in RPOs. You right. get a very common sort of uh, uh, defensive deployment when you're facing these spread systems will put what we would call an overhang defender, Mike, a guy who's about right. six to eight yards off the line of scrimmage, maybe at the edge of the tackle box, a little bit outside of the tackle box. You know, he's like a linebacker, but he's a little further out, a little closer to his safety. We call him an overhang defender. All right. And this overhang defender is the one who gets put in conflict by the RPO because he has both run and pass responsibilities. This is how defenses have responded to the spread system. You get a guy in the field as a great athlete, you give him a responsibility against the run and a responsibility against the pass. Well, if you take that player on the offensive side and you run a play where I can either run it or pass it, you're making that player wrong. And this is kind of the purest form of, of RPO chess matches, right? As a result, getting a player who can play that position very, very well has now become exceedingly valuable, right? And when mm-hmm. we talk about the the value of Nigel Bradham, we talk about his value as a, a man in coverage. Nigel Bradham is an exceptional coverage linebacker, one of the top three, top five in the league. And so if you're losing a guy like Bradham, you are in desperate need of a linebacker who has strong coverage ability and is still able to come downhill and, and, and fill against the running game. That is a huge need for Philadelphia. I cannot underst- I cannot overstate, excuse me, uh, the value that Nigel Bradham gave Philadelphia in his coverage ability. And so, you know, linebacker, safety, the, the nickel corner, these guys all kind of overlap into this, this amalgam that we call an overhang defender. And as RPOs continue to be more and more introduced into the NFL, and if a Philadelphia fan knows anything, Mike, it's that RPOs are all the rage, right? Yeah. Then that player becomes very, very valuable. So yeah, that it's important for Philadelphia to hash out that player. That's who Malcolm Jenkins became. When Jordan Hicks went down, he played the majority of his snaps this year at linebacker. Why? Because they were able to get him into that six to eight yards off, right? He was playing like a strong side backer, always to the tight end side. He was able to be that guy in that window, right? And so Philadelphia needs to have a plan for how that position is going to be deployed going forward. If it means keeping Jenkins there more often, okay, then you need to safety badly, right? But anyway, so this is the problem that that faces Philadelphia moving forward. So is there anyone there in that 32 range? I was watching linebackers the past few days, obviously Roquan Smith. Big potential for him to go on the top 10. You have Rashawn Evans from Alabama. Potential for him to go in the top, in the top 20. He's, he's excellent. And then you look at a younger guy like Tremaine Edmonds, who me and you have talked about him before. A young guy is about 20 years old. He's what, six foot four, six foot five, 245, 250, something like that. Six five, 240, something ridiculous. Yeah. And he's an athletic freak. You know, young guy, not, not the best in coverage right now, has some mental lapses that I've seen, but overall, you're excited about his profile because he's so young. He's got that upside. Another guy I watched that's getting a lot of hype right now, Leighton Vanderesh from Boise State. Run and chase guy, but I worry about his play strength. Uh, seems like a catch and drag tackler. There were several examples that I saw from him yeah. where he was not able to get a push at the point of attack, especially when he's blitzing. Still, some people love him. He's getting a lot of buzz lately. Guy you told me to watch when I got some Alabama All-22, Sean Dion Hamilton from Alabama. SDH. Guy, he's got some medical concerns for sure. But as far as a guy that can go sideline to sideline, read his keys, I thought he was excellent. And as far as an overhang defender, one of these guys like a Tyus Bowser last year from Houston coming out that got drafted by the Ravens or a Hassan Reddick who got uh, drafted early on as well by the Arizona Cardinals. Fred Warner from BYU gets deployed as that overhang defender a lot for them. And he's got an interesting athletic profile. He's really comfortable in space, a little bit on the lighter side. But if you're looking for like that third coverage linebacker, I really like him. Ben, 
What do you think about this linebacking core? Quick question for you, actually, on Fred Warner, because NDT was debating this. The guys on staff with NDT scouting. Fred Warner, Sam or Will? Oh, Will. Yeah, that's what I said. I think Will as well. So when we look at how Philadelphia currently has their linebackers, let's say you're at a spot where you're trying to replace a Nigel Bradham. Okay, Bradham plays the Sam for Philly. Strong side linebacker, Sam. You know, we got the Sam, the Mike, and the Will. Mike is middle, Will's weak side. What's the difference between a Sam linebacker and a Will linebacker from a scouting perspective? Well, the the Sam is typically lining up uh, to the strength of the formation, you know, strong side, and and, and that's often defined as where the tight end is, where the the more numbers are, right? Because you've got five skill players running running back, you know, a tight end, three wide receivers, let's say, running back, two tight ends, two wide receivers. Those are five guys. So three of them are going to have to line up to one side and two of them are going to have to line up to another. You're not going to make it even. So whatever side has more personnel, that's where you put your strong side backer, right? Very often that's the tight end. And so you want your strong side backer to number one, be able to cover tight ends. And then we talk about the running game personnel. Well, more often than not, you're running towards the strong side. At least that was the Mm. case when the positions were defined. Now in today's NFL, you're probably about split even. You know, depending on which team you're facing, maybe you switch things up if a team really likes to run heavy to the weak side. But if you're running very often to the strong side, the number two, you need your strong side backer to be very good at, at diagnosing blocks and taking them on at, in the trees, we call it. So he's not just waiting three yards past the line of scrimmage and the, the puller comes up and blocks him. No, he's going, he's playing downhill and he's taking on that blocker among the trees, among the offensive linemen. Because when you take that puller, you take that climbing guard among the offensive linemen, you plug the hole, right? There's no space now. You're, you've created traffic, you've created bodies. So when I'm looking for my Sam linebacker to replace Nigel Bradham, he's got to be able to cover tight ends for me and he's got to be able to play downhill and attack blockers with physicality. Uh, the best Sam linebacker that that'll be available around 32 possibly is going to be Rashawn Evans. I know you said potentially Mm. top 20 for Evans. I think both Roquan Smith and Tremaine Edmonds, that young kid out of Virginia Tech, go before him. I think Evans is your third linebacker off of the board. Uh, Evans is a kid out of Alabama. Doesn't have much starting experience because he was behind Ruben Foster for so long. Incredibly physical, incredibly violent. You are not worried about him taking on blockers at all. He can light some folks up. You have a little bit of questions in coverage. He didn't play a lot of man coverage, right? But he can drop into short zones well. Dropping these, you know, we talk about these hook curl zones, these curl flat zones. He's adept there. He understands how to layer coverage, and then he has a physical profile where you feel good about working him into man coverage, getting him through some reps. That's something he should be able to handle. He would be a good value at 32. That's about where I think he should go, and then he'd be an excellent fit for Philadelphia as a strong side backer. Some of those later names that you mentioned, yeah, Van Der Esch is another guy. This kid out of Boise, you've heard a lot about him. If you follow the draft, he's not doing it for me. For me, this is a mid third round player. He's an early down thumper. He's got some ability and coverage, but to me, it's not consistent. I really worry. He's what we call one speed player. Once we player, if yeah. he decides to go, he goes. If he decides not to go, he doesn't go. But there's no burst. There's no explosiveness. There's no acceleration. He's just, he's got one gear. And that's really very worrisome because if you ask him to cover a, a quick little guy in space, you know, running back out of the backfield, he cannot stick with him. Right, he does not have the explosiveness, in my opinion. So I'm I'm down on Van Der Esch. Talk about Sean Deon Hamilton. He's more of a will sort of a build, but he's another in, often injured guy. I don't think Philadelphia wants to be there. Fred Warner, if you do want to play him at the Sam, if you do believe that, he'd be a great coverage guy for you. I'm worried about him as the Sam because I do not think he takes on blocks as well as he shoots right. gaps, which is why I would want him at the will. The other guy I will say for the strong side who I think would be interesting. That's a later round guy. He also does have an injury history, but he got through this season healthy, Mike. Sky Moore, South Carolina. Mm. All right, now this is a kid who has been injured. I think he's had two significant knee injuries, but he had a full healthy season, which that's like step number one to proving that you can come back, right? Word we like to use for Sky Moore, kid is springy. 
right? I said Van Ryder's a one-speed player. This guy Moore's got gears, man. He can click, and then he can click, and then he can click, and it's really fun to watch him use that athletic ability in space. As a tackle machine out of South Carolina, played more of the Mike position for them. I think he can transition to Sam. That, again, I do have a little bit similar to Warner. I do have questions about taking on blocks, but Moore has shown he can be physical. This is a guy with, I think, round two tape who's going to have round four medical, so maybe you find him late on day two. I'm talking about so Sky Moore. That's a name that I'll start maybe a little bit later after Evans. You go get your Sam linebacker. Yeah, and Moore is interesting because I really liked him, and then he got that herniated disc in his neck, if I'm not mistaken, and had surgery that's on it. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's the medical is going to be very important for him, especially playing the linebacker position. You instantly think of, and you know, hopefully this isn't the case, but you know, you, you think of the situation with Ryan Shazier in, in Pittsburgh, and you hope that he's good, and, and and that's something that's not a risk. But yeah, I really like Sky Moore coming into the season. So we got our linebackers. I really like Rashawn Evans at 32 if it's a need and he's there because, like you said, man, coming coming downhill, the difference between him and Van Der Esch when running backs try to pick him up, it's it's like night and day. Evans will light you up, and, and it's not even a question. Watching that Alabama defense, watching it from the end zone angle with the with the, uh, with the coaches' film, and seeing what Alabama does, they'll play real tight in the middle, and they just know their athletes are better than everyone else. And their linebackers can read it better than anyone else. So he's a real fun watch. Let's move on to some of the uh, edge prospects here. Because we don't know what's going on with Vinny Curry. So that could be a sneaky need too. Obviously, we've got Derek Barnett, Brandon Graham, and Chris Long. We still have to sign Graham to that extension. But he is signed through next year. Right. And again, we don't know what's going on with Vinny Curry. Some names that I saw that that might fit the, fit the Eagles. Uh, Agbana Akaronko. Did I say that correctly? Obonya Karunkwo. Oh, geez. The, there so we the, go. The G is like soft. It's like Obonya. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not going to remember that at all. So, <laughs> uh, there's, there's him. There's Hercules Mataafa from uh, Washington nice. State. He's a bit of a projection because he played a weird role for Washington State. He was a defensive tackle at 250. He'll play on the edge as a pro. He racked up 10 and a half sacks, 22 uh, and a half tackles for a loss in 2017. You, you're going to have a long way to go with him. Because he's really not an edge player, doesn't have that experience, doesn't have the technique, doesn't have the nuance. Duke Edgefor from Wake Forest liked his tape. He processes quickly. He has a plan as a pass rusher, which you don't always see from these guys coming out of college. I liked him. And then Kamoka Ture from Rutgers, who's got that crazy athletic profile. He was awesome at the Senior Bowl. He was winning rep after rep. And has a weird story at Rutgers. There's a bit of a story behind him as well. But you get a guy like that that can burn around the corner like he can. I think, you know, his stock is going to go up once they once they have the combine. Ben, any of those guys stand out for you? Who you got for me? Yeah, so I'll tell you right now, I'm down on Mata'afa. Mm-hmm. He has not yet been told in his college career he's allowed to play with his hands. Nobody has yet told him this. <laughs> And so maybe he becomes an exceptional player when, when he's, when the secret is finally revealed to him. But up until that point, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very wary of people who play in slanting three man fronts. Right? We're talking about a slanting three man front, Mike. Uh, you got three down linemen and they're lined up in a certain gap. And then right before your cadence, they're going to try to switch into different gaps pre-snap. And then after they do that, they're going to, slant you know they're gonna instead of going straight forward into the gap into which they're lined up they're gonna switch gaps they're gonna go left right you don't know where they're going they're gonna blitz different guys drop different guys it's a defense predicated on on confusion on mix matching it was the original nickel defense man charlie strong you know this is right. west virginia right three three five sort of nonsense and so it you know you go and you watch yourself a, a mata off a highlight tape you got 22 tackles for loss on about 12 of them nobody touched him 
because he's slanted and he's he's quite explosive. He's very explosive. He slanted the right way into the right blocking scheme, and they were you know the the offensive line was sliding the wrong way, and he just like blew up the backfield. You know, to me, like I, I don't get very excited about that sort of play. You know, Ben, are you telling me that box score scouting is pretty much useless? No, Mike, box score scouting is all we do here on the uh, Kiss and Solak show. Sorry, I thought that was clear. <laughs> just solely stats here. But anyway, so <laughs> the name that I will say interests me a little bit in that is going to be a guy like Toure. Uh, because uh, Kamoko Toure out of Rutgers, really, really uh, a terrible injury history for Toure. This is a guy who's had big knee problems. He came into Rutgers at like 210 or something. He's 255 yeah. now. You know, he's recently started to learn how the weight room works because he's been so beaten up and everything. But yeah, like you said, crazy sort of flexible guy, athletic profile. He, he corners in a way that's pure special. And so this is a guy who could drop far because teams are really worried about investing in him. But when you're Philadelphia and you've got some great edge depth right now, why not take the swing and see if it'll land? Yeah. You know, Philadelphia's at a spot. We're talking about edges. You know, you might say, why? Vinny Curry is likely gone this year. If not this year, then one of the next upcoming years. And then Stephen Means and Brandon Graham, both free agents after 2019. And then Chris Long, how long is Chris Long going to be around? You know, he's obviously he's not playing for money anymore. You know, he's, he's giving it all away and everything. So for him, it's just kind of love of the game. And, you know, he's got so many other things going on in the other... Uh, off the field, you know, you can't really rely on him to be around too much. So Philadelphia does have that low-key need at edge. Uh, the other guys that I like for you, Kylie Fitz, Richard Senior out of Utah. This is a guy who did, he hasn't played edge for a long time, if memory serves. Both him and Garrett Dooley, uh, he's a Richard Senior out of Wisconsin. Both are late to the position. And these are guys who are who are figuring it out. You know what I mean? They're both at the senior mm-hmm. bowl, and you see them land some really nice moves, and then you see them completely miss their timing on another one. They're still kind of putting the pieces together. So these are guys that you can sit uh, for a while, I think, you know, give them a couple years on a depth chart, and then see what you're able to get from them. So I like those two names. If you do want to go a little bit earlier, I think that Philadelphia would really love a guy, uh, Sam Hubbard out of Ohio State. Yeah. Because this is a guy who, not unlike Derek Barnett, you know, it's not a comp or anything, but coming out of college, not unlike Derek Barnett, is a guy who's he's productive. He knows what he's doing. I think he's just a little bit athletically limited, and that doesn't make him a premier player. You know, uh, for those who aren't regular listeners, you know, of our old show and everything, I wasn't the biggest fan of the Barnett pick. I think 14 is a little rich for Barnett. Certainly, 14 would be rich for Hubbard, but he's more so going to be, I think, uh, uh, about, you know, pick number 32 is where he'd be. So if Philadelphia goes rich, Hubbard would be the guy. I would expect them to mo- go more so, you know, round four, round five, and then Dooley fits the kid out of Toledo, out of NEA. He's the guy that you might want to look out for. Uh, a Chad Thomas out of Miami is another guy. A Justin Lawler out of SMU. These are the guys you'll look at, like, round four, round five. And just to throw this little scenario out there, in round one, like there are three top names that a lot of people know right now. Bradley Chubb out of NC State, Marcus Davenport out of UTSA, and then you've got Harold Landry from Boston College. Landry kind of reminds me of a burst to your Barnett. I saw your buddy John Ledger from NDTScouting.com, yeah. our buddy, talking about him and the way he was describing him. It was like, this is exactly how I felt about Barnett coming into the draft as far as how he needed to develop and where his strengths were. And then you look at a guy like Davenport. We saw him at the Senior Bowl. He's getting top 10, top 15 hype. He's been mocked as high as, as the Bucks, and I didn't see it at all. He's so raw. Let's say let's say any of those – Chubb's not going to fall. Let's say Davenport or Landry are there. Are you running to the podium at that point? Yeah, I'll run to the podium for Landry. I'll run for the podium for Landry. Yeah. Landry's a guy – you're going to watch his 2017 tape and say, well, why isn't he cornering very well? He had an ankle injury early in the season. 
and then he played Gimp on it. And if you're asking an edge to play on an ankle injury like that, oof, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that's very painful. You go back to the 2016 tape, Landry's the sort of guy we say he can run under a table, right? We say run under a table. Yeah. He can have his upper body so low to the ground, like his spine parallel to the ground, and he's still able to maintain velocity and turn a corner. That you that just doesn't come every draft class. Right? I think yeah. Harold Landry's the sort of guy I don't think he gets past Green Bay at fourteen. That's where that's where I would peg yeah. him as a top fifteen player, you know, Green Bay fourteen. So yeah, if, if Combine comes, you know, there's a few questions about that ankle and he starts to fall. I think Philadelphia at thirty two, you you have great edge play, you rely on great edge play. Bring in Landry. You know, it's a low risk, high reward proposition. All right. So let's move on to safety. We talked about that, you know, potentially needing that third safety because how we use Jenkins. We don't know what's going on with the linebacker situation. There are a couple of guys that I like late. Saran Neal and Michael Joseph. So Saran Neal from Jacksonville State and Michael Joseph from Dubuque. Really liked both of those guys. I thought the practices were, were really good. They caught my eye. I sat down and talked with the coaching staff and the defensive coordinator for Dubuque while I was at the Senior Bowl, and we talked about Michael Joseph, and he said that he was their match corner. So if their number one receiver that they were playing against was in the slot, Michael Joseph was going to be in the slot. If he was outside, he was going to be outside. They could play him at safety. He could do a lot of different things. He's a film rat, really dedicated to making himself better. He had a rough game, and I won't lie to you, playing on the outside. I like to see him transition to safety maybe maybe nickel corner. And then you've got Saran Neal from Jacksonville State. I really liked his game too. He popped in practice for me. He was one of the first corners that popped for me because a lot of them struggled other than Isaac uh, Yedem from from Boston College. Any of these guys stand out for you? Who else you got as far as safeties go? Right. Very interesting for Philadelphia, how they want to approach safety. We talked about Malcolm Jenkins, who essentially plays linebacker for Philadelphia. That's what the strong safety did this past year, right? And you don't really know uh, how they prefer to deploy their strong safety in the event they have a healthy linebacking core. Not to mention, linebacking core is probably going to change a significant deal this upcoming offseason as you know people come in and come out. So it's unclear what they might want from their safety. It is important to note that as far as if you want a guy who can do Malcolm Jenkins sort of things, Saran Neal out of Jacksonville State is a really enticing option because he has experience at both linebacker and corner. Not to mention he played wide receiver in high school, dude. You know, and, and those are the positions that Jenkins plays. He plays linebacker and corner, and we call him a safety. So Neal is interesting. You should also note Philadelphia does have fifth-round rookie, or he'll be a second-year player now, Nate Gary, a kid out of Nebraska mm-hmm. who played linebacker his first year there. And then he played safety for the next three years at, at Nebraska, and then Philadelphia is transitioning him back to linebacker. So that's a guy you would love to play at overhang. You know, a safety linebacker hybrid, that's exactly where he goes. That's Jenkins style. So let's say maybe they don't want to go there. Let's say maybe they want to go for that deep player. Let's say you want to get a guy right. who, can, who can step in and do what McLeod does. I really like uh, DeMond Webb. Uh, excuse me, Damon Webb, Damon Webb out of Ohio State. This is a guy who's got excellent range. He's not a long term. He, he has some starting experience, but he's over, he's always been overlooked on that Ohio State secondary, I should say. You know, he played with Malik Hooker, Gary and Conley, and Marshawn Lattimore, all three of them round one draft picks last year. This year played with a guy like Denzel Ward. You know, he doesn't get as much uh, of a look. You know what I'm saying? And so, DeMond Webb is a guy who's got excellent range there on the back end. He excites me a lot. The other guy with range that I think is a fun player is St- uh, Stephen Roberts, his kid out of Auburn. 
All right, and he's definitely a round three sort of a guy. He's a raw player. I don't think he trusts his instincts very well. He's got some good ball skills, but he, he does a lot of guesswork. But he can fly, right? He, he, he's got yeah. long speed, I think, and then he's got closing burst as well. So that those are the names you might look for if you're looking for that uh, – that, that deep safety, that guy who can, who can play single high for you. You know, if you eventually move on from Rodney McLeod, who's, you know, always been kind of touch and go here in Philadelphia, hasn't been a strong sort of a player. Safety is a place I want Philadelphia to look, at least get a, to look at a guy who maybe has some versatility, who you can play at either position. And, and simply because they're at the point right now, Corey Graham, not great. Not a great player, Mike. Chris Maragos, I know he's your boy. He's old, right? And they got to <laughs> move off him at some point. Jalen Watkins has never been able to win that stupid job. It's been open for him. That third safety position has been open for Watkins for years, and he can't take it. And so maybe you're talking that round four position, Afolobi Laguda, uh, Colorado is a guy who's got some good versatility for you. I think Chucky Williams out of Louisville can do some different things for you. So maybe you bring in these guys uh, and you see what you can do. You know, as far as giving them that third safety, or at least giving them a look at it, telling Jalen Watkins, listen, if you can't beat this fourth round rookie, we're getting rid of you. Philadelphia needs better safety depth, especially if they expect Jenkins to come down and play linebacker that often. You got to have a good third safety to get three safeties on the field. Yeah, I remember seeing Chucky Williams during the season. He looked a little stiff, but he's got the got the thump to him, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, right now we're talking about players that you would be playing in a, in a, in a cover two, in a back half right. sort of a situation. You try to be keeping them out of man coverage. Just a guy that you like again. Corey Graham just couldn't trust him. He just he's, he's old and he didn't know what he was doing, and I couldn't deal with it, right? And so yeah, Williams is stiff. Talk about a guy like Laguda. Laguda's a little narrow in my opinion. He's a little thin, uh, but he's like a round four sort of a guy. You know, he's got some decent ball yeah. skills and everything like that. I want them to th- take Justin Reed in the second. I love Justin Reed out of Stanford more than life itself. That's that's Ooh. been my my guy. It's been my crush for months. But he's gonna he's gonna be a good player. He's gonna cost too much. They got. I've got to feel better about the safety depth. That's that's something that I need coming into the offseason, man. Yeah, absolutely. I I would agree with you there as far as the safety depth goes. It needs to be addressed at some point. Corey Graham's not getting it done. I'm kind of mad at you because you keep hating on my boy Chris Marigos, my doppelganger, my twin. And I think you need to stop, man. He's a special teams ace. Leave the guy alone. Oh, give him some credit. Okay. Give him some respect. Put some respect on his name. The are currently pulling up how oh, old geez. Chris Maragos is, and it would appear he is 59 years old. He's 31. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not – I don't want to feel the 31-year-old special teams ace unless he's, like, actually my punter or my kicker, right? I want a special teams ace who's 24 – and I just drafted him, and he costs nothing, and he might develop into something. I hope Ike Reese is listening right now to what you're saying. Is Ike Reese big on Marigos? Ike Reese was a special teams player that definitely played for us past 31, if I'm not mistaken. Right, Hater. but, okay. <laughs> That's wonderful. But Ike Reese like, also did other things. He played linebacker. That's important depth. I don't know, man. Listen, all love to Ike, all love to Chris Marigos. I'm just here trying to make the roster better. Fair enough, man. All right, Ben. We're going to be talking draft prospects. We're going to be talking free agency. We're going to be doing all that for the rest of this week. What else do we have for the gentle, gentle listeners? So what's up, gentle listeners? Uh, this has been the Kissed and Solak Show, episode three. And we do greatly appreciate you tuning in. These uh, past four episodes, that's BG on Radio, episode three, Hana. 
and then uh, Kiss and Solak episode one, two, and three have all been really us prepping you for kind of this big overarching off-season sort of a look. So if you didn't catch those episodes, please go back, give them a listen. Mike and I want you to be the most knowledgeable off-season fan you can be. Uh, that's our goal for you. Looking forward now, the NFL Combine begins on Friday, March 2nd. Uh, BGN Don, that's uh, John Barchard, will be on location. And so we'll be able to talk with him, see what uh, Philadelphia may or may not be looking at, with whom they may be speaking. But over the next couple of weeks, the next couple of shows on Wednesday and Friday this upcoming week, Mike and I hope to give you some more combine looks, some more combine previews. So we might be talking about guys who could rise, guys who could fall, guys who have questions they need to answer, whether that's on the medical rechecks, on the interviews, on the whiteboard, or yes, on the athletic testing. We might even talk about some of the combine snubs, guys that we really like who uh, didn't make it. I know I dropped Blake Mack's name, tight end of Arkansas State. He was snubbed from the combine. I think he's somebody Philadelphia could target. Listen, Mike, Puno Ford didn't get to the, the combine. If, we, if I don't get to talk about Puno Ford, what's the point of doing the podcast, man? There's just no reason for it. And so we'll be talking a lot of combine stuff over the next three, four, five episodes. Of course, keeping up with Philadelphia's offensive coordinator search as well is something that we'll keep an eye on as we approach that pick. But thank you so much. Uh, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. That's been Mike Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. We thank you for listening. And remember, new here for BGN Radio, so we'd like to remind you, open door policy. You have a question, you have a comment, you have a concern, something you want us to talk talk about hit us up we're on twitter we like to chat we like to do cool stuff thank you so much for stopping by we all we got we all we need fly eagles fly <laughs>